The news from the United States Capitol this week has many of us in this country and around the globe on edge. We're afraid, worried, saddened, and angry. Armed white supremacists stormed the Capitol incited by the president. Meanwhile, an un under-acknowledged, unarmed white supremacist culture continues to threaten our democracy. So today, instead of our usual worship service format, I want to light a candle of justice and begin this morning with a time to live with the awareness of this historical moment. I don't want this moment to pass without full acknowledgement. This type of event is harm to our psyche. It changes our understanding of who we are in unspoken ways. So I invite you to explore this with me. Please, if you're willing, close your eyes and sit in silence just for a moment. We hold our fear, we hold our disbelief, our anger, our incredulity. We hold these in our body. Do a mental rundown through your body right now. Notice, where is it you feel this? Where do you feel the tension? Where is there pain? Where is there discomfort? And I invite you, if you're willing, to put your hand over that area. Just touch that area. And feel the warmth of your hand offering some com comfort, or some acknowledgement, maybe a pad of understanding. There, there. There, there. That's how my mother used to comfort me. Sit a bit longer with your hand right there as I pray. We pray for the fragile and badly damaged structures of the US democracy, that they might survive enough to finally be transformed into institutions which actually reflect the values of justice and equality for all, as well as the care of the most vulnerable. We pray for the dismantling of the white supremacy culture, which made this week's events possible and desirable to so many. We pray for our black indigenous people of color, siblings who will disproportionately bear the burden of what comes after this week's events. We pray for all who are targets of violence, hatred and terror, wherever and whoever they are. We pray for those who have taken oaths to protect and defend the United States Constitution. We pray they embody their vows with a lens toward those who have been made most vulnerable. We pray that our witness of this week's events helps us recognize the systemic injustices that are playing themselves out in the hallways of power as well as inside the chambers of Congress injustices which happen every day and are perpetuated in those same hallways and chambers. We pray that all people everywhere work toward a freedom 
that finds us all the liberty to be safe and well. We pray all this so that we may act to make it happen after our prayers are over. For prayer without action is no prayer at all. We pray this to the spirit of life that sustains and nurtures us. Blessed be. Amen. These words are from Ivone Gebara. The search for God is a path we never succeed in leaving behind. All generations walk it in their own ways, often without so much as pronouncing its name. <coughs> we are always returning to the something more that is both here and there, before us, within us, and outside us. To seek God is to seek our own humanity in an attempt to speak of ourselves beyond our own limitations and contingencies and to heal a kind of wound that we feel within us always. To seek God is to seek meaning, a meaning that is expressed in a thousand different ways and always demands to be expressed anew because no language is able to exhaust this meaning. So John Buren, the former president of the UUA, often talks about being a UU minister in the 1980s and 90s when humanism and atheism were dominant in our churches. After the Sunday service, he would stand in the back of the sanctuary as people filed out, and he would talk with visitors or whoever greeted him. And almost every week, someone would eventually say to him, you know, Reverend Burens, I don't believe in God. And sometimes they were apologetic about confessing this to their minister. And sometimes they were a bit challenging or maybe a bit defiant. And after a while, Reverend Burens came to reply to this by saying, why don't you tell me about the God you don't believe in? Because I may not believe in him either. Many of us have come to this UU tradition because the religious institution we grew up in no longer works for us. It may be that we saw too much disparity between how people believed and how they acted in the world. And it may be, be that some of the religious, maybe some of the things that our religion expected of us to do, like pray or read holy writings or come to our worship services on Sunday mornings, those things lost meaning to us. And for a lot of us, the way our religion understood God and talked about God didn't make sense to us any longer. So when I entered seminary, I had no intention of becoming a minister. I was seeking a master's in social change so I could do social justice work. I had stopped thinking about God for decades, and I had a visceral, visceral discomfort with God talk. And so when my first class assignment was to do a daily practice of prayer, not only was I resistant to it, but I didn't know what to do. Was I actually supposed to talk? Was I supposed to use words to talk to God? Or should I just sit there? 
And if I was going to talk, what was I supposed to talk about? Was I supposed to ask for things to be made better in the world? Or was I supposed to conjure up feelings of guilt for all the things that I'd done bad that week or the things that I could have done that I didn't do? None of that felt right. And none of it actually felt compelling or interesting to me. Not only did I think that no one was listening, I felt that that understanding of a God, of a being who was listening or not listening, was the wrong way to think of God at all. And so it actually really intrigued me. And I ended up trying to figure out what people were talking about when they talked about God. Because at the same time that I didn't actually believe in this idea of God, I also found lots of the people who I really admired talked about God. So I wanted to know how they understood God, because whatever it was they meant, it imbued them with something I recognized as admirable, some special quality, and I wanted to know more about that. So I became intrigued with theology, which literally means words about God. I found that no matter what I wanted to say about God, the words weren't right. And any conceptualization that I had felt insufficient as soon as the words were spoken. So not only was I not unique in recognizing this, I found that this has been true for centuries and millennia. Thousands of scholars through time have found it impossible to talk about God with the language we have and the way we conceptualize things. So when someone says to me that they don't believe in God, I wonder what they mean. What words have they actually attributed to God and what concepts are they using to base their belief or their disbelief on? So today I thought I wanted to talk about several ideas that can offer some words and concepts about God that might give us a new way of thinking. One of my seminary professors would often say that theology is just pointing a finger toward God. So it's a lot like that story of the six blind men and the elephant. Each one describes the part of the elephant that they are in contact with, such as the trunk that feels like a tube, or the tail that feels like a snake, or the tusk that feels like a sharp stick. Each of these parts can point toward comprehending an elephant, but even together, none of us would be able to actually draw or explain the whole elephant. So my first theological idea I want to throw out is this. God has often been likened to a rock. So a rock is solid. It's a sturdy foundation and it seems unchangeable, just as God has been described as omnipresent, impassable, and eternal. But if we examine that rock more closely at the nuclear level, it turns out that it is not made of tiny little particles of hard things, but it's made of atoms that are active, that are interactive, and they're constantly moving and constantly changing. So it was out of this study of nuclear physics that Alfred North Whitehead developed the idea of process theology, the thought that God is not static, something to be understood once, but is actually in process. God is not a fixed solid being, but is profoundly affected and changed by what we humans do to one another and to the creation.
Just as atoms are in constant motion, change in relation to all around them, God is in relation with all things. God is in creative response to all that is happening. So process theology is based on the ideas that at some level, everything is alive. There is no possibility of independent existence. Every atom interacts with what surrounds it. Relationships form the matrix of our mutual becoming. And so God is the living whole of which you and I and others are active parts and partners. My second theological idea comes from Ivana Gabara, a theologian from Brazil. She offers an ecofeminist perspective on how to see God. She says, and I quote, the patriarchal world always makes distinctions between good and the bad, the just and the unjust, and the masculine and the feminine. It erects clear boundaries around what is judged to be good, just, pure, and perfect. This century offers us the challenge of learning to think of ourselves in categories that are no longer oppositional, but rather inclusive." Ecofeminism suggests that God is not defined as a being unchanged and separate from individual humans, but as relationship. To call God relatedness is to use a word to express that something that goes beyond all words. It describes an experience that goes beyond all experiences. It speaks of God as possibility. It is relatedness as a continual presence. It is the relatedness in all beings. It is when we experience an interaction with the natural world or experience ecstasy, it is in those moments, these relational behaviors, that we often end up declaring that we have experienced something divine. God is a presence that did not begin before or after creation, but concomitant with creation because God is the relationship between all creation. When we humans learn to stop seeing ourselves as separate and individual, and we can move away from binary or dualistic thought toward relatedness, then we can stop worrying about whether God exists or doesn't and learn to live in a fuller relationship with all. A third and the final theological perspective I want to offer today is radically realized eschatology as described by Rebecca Parker, the former president of the Star King School of the Ministry. For centuries now, traditional Christian theology has suggested that we're only on this earth for a short while. And when we die, we will go to our eternal home of heaven or hell based on how we have lived our lives. Liberal Christianity, recognizing that there may not be a future life after death, committed us to the work of creating paradise here on earth by liberating the oppressed, feeding the hungry, creating world peace and revering the planet. This is based on the hope of a future better world that we can bring about by our perseverance and our hard work. Radical realized eschatology suggests 
that instead of hoping for a better world, we move into a different type of hope, a responsive hope. It begins with the recognition that we are already standing on holy ground. There is no other land promised to us than where we stand right now. And so in response, we begin each day with appreciative and compassionate affirmation and attention to this world, rather than imagining an ideal other world. Instead of striving to be somewhere else or to create something better, we respond in compassionate care for the present realities of suffering and injustice. Over the last four months, I've been talking about how we create a house of belonging. I've talked about the foundations for this church, for our home, along with the walls, and now we're focusing on the roof of our house of belonging. The roof is the part of the home that shelters us and protects our head from the elements. I believe that one of the things that protects us is our awareness that we have a spiritual nature. So I am not so interested in how you or I intellectually understand the concept of God. What I am interested in is if we're willing to explore that indescribable, evasive, evasive aspect of life that seems to point toward some elusive, ecstatic, relationship, our spiritual side. I want to end with this quote from the Reverend Dr. Kendall Gibbons from the All, Soul, All Souls Unitarian Church in Kansas City. They say, just as we grow and mature physically and keep ourselves healthy with regular exercise, just as we grow and mature mentally and develop our minds through learning, just as we grow and mature emotionally and deepen our relationships by sharing ourselves with others, just as we grow and mature ethically and build moral character from the values to which we are loyal, so I am persuaded that we also grow and mature spiritually. Religious community exists to help us deepen and celebrate and be nourished by our authentic experiences of reverence. We gather not because we think we can force these experiences to happen on demand at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Sometimes they do, although you can't count on it, but rather because we want to remember and affirm them. We want to testify that we are the kind of beings who have such experiences and that they change us for the better and give shape to the larger meaning of our lives. It's one thing to have the night sky take your breath away and leave you feeling both exhilarated and humbled. It's even better when you, when you, sorry, it's even better when someone else says, I know what you mean. I've had that feeling too. Blessed be, amen.